Water. From air? A volcano full of sharks? Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And my story this week is animal news. And this is from smithsonianmag.com, the official website of the Smithsonian Magazine, <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> and the headline is, NASA snaps photos of underwater sharkano erupting. The headline makes it sound like something's happening that isn't. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> this is still really cool. That, it does sound really cool. Yeah. But you know, my, it is not a volcano throwing sharks into the air. An above-ground volcano with sharks coming out of it, because that's definitely what I pictured. Yeah. And I'm also like, where is sci-fi? They have to make a movie of this. Yes, exactly. How have they not? <laughs> I know, right? Like, this is, uh, this is the obvious follow-up to the Sharknado movies. Yes. Is Sharknado. Yes. Um, which is... Volcanoes erupting in very like just in the middle of a city and shooting yes. sharks. Out. Yeah, it's, yes. It's we just wrote it for them, and they should yep. they should be paying us. Yep. Anyway, uh, an underwater volcano surrounded by sharks sounds like something out of a science fiction movie, <laughs> but Sharkano is very real, and according to new images captured by satellite, it's erupting. Uh, so NASA's Operational Land Imager Two, which is located above the Landsat Nine satellite, took photos of the submarine volcano called Kavachi, uh, erupting earlier this month. It's named after a sea god of the indigenous uh, Gatoki uh, and Vengunu people. Uh, it's located about 15 miles south of Vengunu Island, part of the Solomon Islands east of Papua New Guinea. Uh, it's one of... <laughs> I swear I'm getting to the sharks part. I forgot how long it takes before I get to the sharks part. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's one of the most active underwater volcanoes in this part of the Pacific, and it's been erupting nearly continuously since at least 1939. Wow. Uh, when people living on nearby islands first recorded an eruption, um, and probably before that, given yeah. how time works. Um, so when it erupts, superheated lava, steam, particulates, rock fragments, and sulfur sometimes reach the water surface. Uh, and there is an image which I will show you. Uh, they believe that the sum, the volcano summit is about 65 feet below the water, um, but the base is on the seafloor about three-fourths of a mile below sea level. So it's a pretty tall volcano. Not, like, super tall, but pretty mm -hmm. tall. Yeah. Um, uh, and the Sharkano earned its nickname after a 2015 expedition found two species of sharks uh, along with active microbial communities living within the volcano's crater. <laughs> so they like found a bunch of sea creatures like living inside the volcano. This one that has been erupting like it's like so they know <laughs> they know <laughs> yeah. it erupts and yet yeah. they still live in it for some reason. Um, so they used a baited drop camera uh, and observed scalloped hammerhead sharks and silky sharks, the latter of which I've never heard of before, uh, living in the hot acidic water. Uh, they also saw zooplankton and reef fish um, when they hmm. were looking. So there's just like this whole community of organisms living inside of this continuously erupting underwater volcano. And Incredible. Like that's spewing out like sulfur and stuff, which <laughs> you wouldn't think they'd be able to survive in, much less like, like not even taking into account like the hot water. Yeah. Well, um, if there's anything we've learned studying the oceans and, you know, 
all the edges of the earth, right, is that there's organisms living literally everywhere. Yeah, well, so, especially in the ocean. Yeah. We don't know anything about the ocean, yeah. really. Uh, the presence of these animals in such extreme conditions poses new questions centered on the resiliency of marine animals to rapid changes in their environments. They were kind of talking about this from, like, a climate change perspective. Like, are, like, these animals going to be more resilient than we expect to, like, chemical and temperature changes in the ocean based on this. Cause like hammerhead sharks are found like also in cold water. Mm-hmm. Like they're not, yeah. they're like this, this is very unusual that it's like known species being found in this very unusual environment. So they're saying it, it's the same species. It's not even like the scalloped hammer, some yeah. other type of, I was going to say another version of that, another species. It's not really enough. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's like a sub variant or something, but I don't know. Yeah. Like, it, it's, that's, at least That's as far as they're aware, it's the same kind of shark. Wow. Um, but yeah, Sharkano. It's, uh, it's so it's, cool. I have to show you some cool. pictures. Um, I would love to see pictures. There are pictures of both the eruption and also the sharks. So this is what it looked like from space. You can see that's like Ooh. a giant plume of like underwater ash, basically. Yeah. Um, and then there's some of the fish and sharks that they saw. Wow. Just That's cool. hanging out inside of a volcano. Yeah. What else are you going to do? It's just, just all the animals in the ocean that are so resilient. Like, I feel like there aren't, are there animals that live inside an erupting volcano above ground? Tardigrades, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But they're everywhere. Right. Or at least they can be. Yeah, I, I've never heard of anything living in, like, a volcano above ground but who knows maybe yeah just, oh yeah maybe we just don't know yeah maybe they're just lava dwelling monsters that <sighs> we've so never much seen. we don't know yeah. yeah how would we know if there's like sharks that live in the lava we wouldn't know it's not I, like we can go in there and look i imagine we would eventually <laughs> find the remains of yeah, one probably right after a volcano probably right or Sharkano would actually happen with sharks shooting out of it like this is the plot of the movie oh, it'd be so good yeah, there's been like, sharks there's living been, in the lava the entire time we didn't know. Yeah, we didn't know. And then, like, and now they're something mad. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> Either they're mad or, like, something like there's always, like, an oil drilling company with these things. Like, oh, someone's, course, like, drilling yeah. or into, like, a volcano. into some place. Like, yeah, we have to figure out there's some reason why some evil corporation will be, like, drilling and then they, like, crack open something that releases the lava sharks and then they erupt out of the volcano. Yeah. The, the plot is there. It's the movie is we have written, it's already like written. we've written so much of this movie for <laughs> yeah, them I'm almost angry. <laughs> Does someone know anyone that works at the Sci-Fi Channel? Yeah. Get this <laughs> Give them to this them. material. Okay, my story today is science news. This is from news.utexas.edu. And the headline is, low-cost gel film can pluck drinking water from desert air. That seems useful. Like magic. Oh. That's not part of the headline. I oh. just added it. But it <laughs> but is. It, but it's, it is like magic, but, but it it's actually like science. Uh-huh. Hey. So scientists and engineers at the University of Texas at Austin have developed a solution that could help people in areas where water shortages happen access clean drinking water. Um, the team developed a low-cost gel film that can pull water from the air even in a really dry climate. The materials that facilitate the reaction, which does this, um, which include cellulose and konjac gum, which I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but apparently it's like, it says in here it's a common kitchen ingredient. 
What? Konjac gum? I've never heard of that, but it's, it's apparently not that something, common. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but so that and cellulose, um, those materials to make the stuff cost two dollars per kilogram. So it's like pretty cheap materials cost. Nice. And th- there's all metric units in here, but oh, it's fine. No. <laughs> so, you know, one kilogram of of this can produce more than six liters of water per day. In an wow. area with less than 15% relative humidity in the air. And in higher humidity areas, like if it, there's like 30% relative humidity, it can produce up to 13 liters per day. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible. It's so cool. That could be game changing for some know. places. That's, like, that's, that's scale this up right that, now. Yeah, for like, and it's usually, usually with things like this, it's like, oh, it, it works, but it's so expensive. This is exactly do it exactly. right now. They, somebody actually found something that's like, this is okay, already took cost the, expensive, the, the cost effective issue out yeah. of it. Wow. Um, yeah. And then the next part of it, literally, it just says that, like other attempts at doing this kind of thing, like pulling water out of the air, are very energy intensive and they don't produce very much. So they're just really not practical. Um, and the researchers noted, I guess in their paper about this, that although six liters does, isn't, doesn't really sound like really that much, if you were thinking about scaling this, I mean, like I it have actually no really idea is because it's metric, so. <laughs> okay. So, uh, think of like pop bottles isn't a, that are like a two yeah. liter pop bottle. Yeah, that's so two three liters. Of those. So like three of those that's, in one day. That's a good amount of water. Yeah. And that's for only one kilogram of the stuff. Yes. Right? Wait, yes. And you said it was like $2 for a kilogram or something? Yes. So two Are those dollar- metric dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, it's a dollar yeah. with an e on the end. So a, ch- a kilogram of the stuff will produce like three pot bottles worth of water in one day in a dry in dry air. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And again, like you could scale that up, like so, exactly. So it's so cheaply. Like that's exactly what they said. Is that they could even like they could make thicker versions of the film or like figure out how to make like i don't know like some configuration where the surface area of it is like maximized so it just oh yeah so, so it's to like increase the output in some way. yeah exactly yeah. that's what they're like looking into right now because this this is like even before they've really tried to like do that optimization stuff that so it's like wild. <laughs> really cool um this is a quote from a professor of material science and mechanical engineering um in the mechanical engineering department at the school This new work is about practical solutions that people can use to get water in the hottest, driest places on Earth. This could allow millions of people without consistent access to drinking water to have simple water-generating devices at home that they can easily operate. Super game-changing. This paper was published in Nature Communications, and this also noted that more than a third of the world's population today lives in what's considered a dry land or an area that experiences significant water shortages. Mm -hmm. So... It's a problem facing a lot of people. Yeah. I hadn't even considered the idea that it could just, yeah, like an individual household could have Mm -hmm. like a couple like kilograms of this stuff. Yep. And that would probably do them for the day. Like, yeah, you just have it operating like all the time. Like it would just be dripping water, mm -hmm. I guess, just like constantly. And you just, that's your water source. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or at least like a, like vast improvement over their current like situation. Like yeah. it just seems like it could make such a huge difference. That's awesome. Ah, yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it's I'm cool. Like excited I'm like, about this. I'm like, I want to fund this somehow. Like, I don't know. Yeah. How do you I know? like just buy a bunch of this stuff or like, a, like a whole bunch of I people? Mean, Cause like, that's what I would, yeah, I would totally donate to like some type of 
fundraiser that's like scale this up and actually make this a real product yeah. because it's, pro- it's probably still in like you know research prototype oh, like they course, did it in yeah. a lab you know somebody still has to probably commercialize it but mm. i don't know i yeah. think this is really cool this is this this is going to be a few years from now yeah probably like very much in use in different parts of the world i would bet <laughs> and and desperately needed <laughs> yeah what's the gum called konjac gum like with a k okay well, luckily, this is made with this gum that we all already have in our kitchen. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. It's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Conject gum. Ready, set, go. go. All right. I found this on CNN. Northwestern engineers invent the world's smallest remote-controlled walking robots. Oh. Very tiny little robots. Look at them. They kind of look like spiders. Oh, it's but like, I think a, they're oh, designed, yeah, like a spider. But they're designed after crabs. They got little claws on the front. Oh, I was, thinking, I was thinking it looked like a, like a bee. Like a oh, yeah, definitely. wasp or something. Yeah, it looks like it. it's got the coloration for sure. Yeah. Okay, um, interesting. How big are they? So this is one on the edge of a penny. Whoa! They're... It's less than half. Whoa! Like it's about like half the thickness of a penny. It's extremely. It's like, it looks even less than that. Even it's like. Yeah, it's very tiny. Yeah, it's if that. Wow. Um. So it, it says they. It took them about a year and a half to make them. Uh, the team that made them was comprised of students uh, across varying academic levels who combined critical and creative thinking skills to design robots that look like crabs. Um, as well as other animals like inchworms and crickets, though I haven't seen those. I've only seen the crabs. Uh, the crab robot uh, can also twist, turn, and jump, apparently. I wish they don't seem to have a video of it moving, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah. I would like to see that. Um, but yeah, it's made out of a shape memory alloy that can be deformed, but returns to its original shape once heat is applied to it. Um, so I guess oh. by like changing the amount of heat applied to it is how they can like affect how it moves. Oh, okay. So like it's the original shape is when it's flat and it's deformed when it's bent. So it like can move between those two and that is how it works. Like walks. it goes back and forth and that's, that's how it, that's what oh. it sounds like. Or, or um, are they saying that that's just how they manufactured it by using like heat to get the pieces into the right. It says, yeah, it wait. Yeah, the heat is what makes it move. Okay. Yeah. Um, so wow. yeah, they heat up like particular joints on it to like return it to its original state, and when it's applied over and over in sequence, the crabs are able to move. Um, kind of how like humans bend and straighten their legs to walk. Yeah. So that's how they like do it. They just like applied lasers to it. Um, so it's not like wow. a. It's not like you're using like a remote controller to control it. They're like applying lasers to predict. That's how they're referring to it as oh. remote control. I think. Oh. <laughs> That's it's a little, a little, little misleading. Because um, sh- shooting lasers at it to yeah. make it move. Because <laughs> I kind of wish that I could have one of these that is controlled with that, and I could just like watch, watch it walk around on the table or something. I think it'd yeah. be very amusing, but I'd have to shoot it, and that feels that feels sad. That feels like I'm going to accidentally shoot something. It's too that's small. Not I'm going to shoot something heated. next to it that's not supposed to be heated up like that. Yeah, and I'm going to destroy things really quickly oh, if no. I had my heat laser gun. My poor <laughs> little this. robot. 
But either way, what, they're still very tiny and very Did they cute. talk about, like, what is the point of a robot that size at all? Uh, or was this just like, we just want to make the smallest remote-controlled robot? They said that they could, like, not these necessarily, but they could be used in performing minimally invasive surgeries or aid in the assembly and repair of small-scale re- machines. Like, obviously not these specifically. Yeah. Um, but... But, like, uh, the concept of a small robot with this yeah, kind of ability. with that maybe. kind of ability yeah. could be used okay. to do that kind of thing. So All right. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, I found um, a Knickknack News classic, just a, a bear steals food story. Oh, we um, love it. Headline, it, this is from UPI. Bear steals food from California resident's garage. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> a California sheriff's office shared a video of a black bear that broke into a resident's garage and, quote, helped him or herself to dinner. The, the county sheriff's office said that the bear broke into the garage in North Lake Tahoe after apparently being drawn in by the smell of food. Uh, and then they kind of used this as like a PSA about leaving food in places that bears can get to. Although you would think that like in your garage is not like. Yeah, I wouldn't consider wouldn't, that like, leaving food out. Right. But I guess they're saying that that is if you live in a place where there's bears. So yeah. Um, well, I don't know. It's a little presumptuous of them to assume that all of our, uh, like, we've already informed our audience many times not to leave food out, and they think they need to make another PSA, even though we've pretty much covered it, I'd say. We make PSAs, like, how many times a year about this? About Specifically and, about bears and food. Yes. Like, I feel like <laughs> yeah. we've done it quite a few times, so, so I don't really, know if this article just, is really even necessary. <laughs> <laughs> really, they should just be sharing our podcast with their user base yeah exactly that's what they should be yeah, doing we'll get them some episode numbers that they can send out and <laughs> yeah there's like a list of like at least 20 oh for probably sure probably like 50 like episodes yeah, that mention bear safety coming in we had, a, we had a whole episode of just about bear safety in general do you remember that yeah. i mean it wasn't the whole episode but there was a whole article in one of our episodes that was like bear safety yeah so no like i said yeah. we've talked about it all the time and frankly it's it's disappointing that more people haven't apparently figured it out yep All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews, on Twitter at at knickknacknews, and on Instagram at knickknacknews. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.